to say welcome to all of you in the house who braved the nasty uh, monsoon to get here. I also want to say a warm welcome to those of you watching online via live stream who are scared of raindrops. God still loves you. I'm working on it. But either way, I'm glad that you're joining us uh, together to worship the Lord this morning. If we haven't met yet, my name is Chris. I get to be one of the pastors here. And last week, we launched a brand new series called Rhythms. If you missed last week, Reclaiming the Path of Abundance. And so really what we're doing is we're just kind of for five weeks unpacking the habits of Jesus, right? And for for those of us who are modern-day followers of Jesus— probably a really good thing for us to study and apply in our lives, right? The habits or the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, these habits of Jesus, historically, theologians have called these habits uh, spiritual disciplines, right? Now, bonus points. Uh, last week, we looked at two different spiritual disciplines. Does anybody remember what they were? It's just silence and solitude. Good, good job. Now, you had a homework assignment last week. You're going to have another one this week. How did it go? All right, Th- thumbs up if it went okay, one hour of silence, thumbs down if you're like, man, I, I hate your guts, it was terrible, I never want to do it again. I talked to several people this morning uh, before the nine o'clock, and some of them were like, man, that was the hardest thing I've ever done, and there were other people who were like, man, that was one of the most amazing spiritual experiences I've ever had in my entire life. In fact, I met one young guy who's uh, new to, to new life, and he comes up to me in the lobby you know, right before the 9.15, and he's like, hey, man. I took the challenge. I did a full hour. He's like, I've never done that before in my entire life. He's like, guess what? God's really there. I'm like, I told you, man. I'm telling you. Like, he was like, man, I was sitting there, and I was just reading my Bible and journaling, and like, I would go to these verses, like speaking right to where I am at this point in my life. He was like, God's really there. I'm like, dude, I told, I told you. It's amazing, right? We just sometimes we have to quiet our own souls and our own thoughts enough that we can hear his still, small voice in those moments and so let me just encourage you if you did that if you didn't do it um man don't please don't make that like a one-off homework assignment the practice of silence and solitude please incorporate that into the rhythm of if if it's not part of your everyday life at least weekly just incorporate i did it again uh this weekend it was awesome again i felt like the lord really met me uh, in that place of silence and and solitude so we're gonna have some more Uh, homework for you um, at the end of our time together. Now, I don't have to tell you guys, you're all aware of this, the world that we live in right now is crazy fast-paced, right? Like, like almost all of us just live in a wasteland of tension and stress and deadlines and strain, right? Like, like how many of you wake up on Monday morning, your alarm goes off at 6 a.m. or whatever before work or school, and your first thought is just, I'm so relaxed right now. Ah, just so zen man like i just feel not a care in the worry like no anxiety in my soul at all like i'm just gonna use this day to glorify you god and like if you experience if that's your life on monday morning you're probably retired all right for for the for the rest of us most of the time what we what we experience when the alarm goes off on monday morning is we feel like somebody just injected adrenaline laced stress into our veins right just, whoa, man, and we feel the weight of this impossible to-do list, like bearing down on our chest. We hit the ground running. Our thoughts are racing. Stress is rising. And all of that before we have our first cup of coffee in the morning. 
And for many of us, man, we do that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after, and some of you even decade after decade, and we wonder why we feel so empty, hollow, and broken inside. And we also know we live in a time and an era and a culture where we have more access, guys, listen, to entertainment, leisure activities, material wealth, and general safety than any time before us in history. And yet what study after study reveals is that we are the most stressed out, anxiety-filled people in human history. In fact, there's now, there's now a name for this condition in the world of psychology. It's called, get this, hurry sickness. Hurry sickness. Now, here, here's, the, here's the definition of hurry sickness. Hurry sickness is a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness. Meyer Friedman, a, a doctor, cardiologist from the mid-19th century, actually the guy that discovered the connection between stress and heart disease, he says this about what we now call hurry sickness. He says, it's a continuous struggle, an unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Now, would anybody just have to kind of self-diagnose? Like, I think, I, think I've got, I think I've got hurry sickness. And I'm guessing every person in this room or almost every person in this room, almost every person watching online is overstressed, overworked, overstimulated. And this, by the way, has been just completely exacerbated by the digital age and the digital revolution that happened around 2006, 2007, 2008. You guys, if you were around that, during that era or you're old enough to remember it, man, it was, it was life-changing, right? So right around 06 to 08, the first iPhone dropped. You guys probably remember that. It changed everything. Facebook went public. Twitter was launched, and for the very first time in human history, we had the world at our fingertips via these devices and the internet. Entertainment on demand. Now, now I, grew, I know I'm getting older now, but I grew up in the 80s and 90s, right? And so I'm the kind of right on the edge of Gen X and Millennial, and so I think, just depending on what you look at, I think 1982 is the cutoff, like the last year for Gen X. So if you were born in 82 or before, raise, raise your hand, let me just see. Gen Xers, boomers, all right. Now, if you were born after 1982, raise your hand. All right, most of y'all, well, quite a quite, kind of split. Well, for, for the first group, for those of you who grew up in the 80s and the 90s or before, you guys remember this like really weird concept and idea called boredom? Yeah, like, don't, like, like if you're born after 82, you have no idea what that is, but but I grew up, listen, I grew up, I, I can still remember going on road trips with my family for vacation, like eight-hour car trips, and I had nothing to do but stare out the window, like eight straight hours. So I would invent, like, these games in my head where I'd count cows and find how many had this many black spots. Like, I had to, like, get creative or go mad. I also remember standing in line at a coffee shop, and you had to actually have conversations with people around you that you didn't know, which was really awkward, right? Like, what about this weather, man? You know, so, so like for an introvert like me, I died just a little bit inside every single time. If you're an extrovert like my wife, she's like, man, a chance to make a new friend, right? So she loved it. I hated it. I also remember growing up in the 80s and 90s, if I wanted a date with a girl, I actually, listen, this is going to blow your mind. I would actually have to go up to them and talk to them. That, I know that's mind-blowing. You know, there were no dating apps. There were no swipe left or right. Or let me be a little wimp and just send them an instant message so I don't have to get rejected face-to-face. -face. Like, I actually had to have, go ahead and have a real conversation with a real human being. Nuts. What a wild time to be alive, man. The 80s and 90s. 
just insane. And now we have these little devices that chime and buzz and ding and they drive us mad all in the name of progress. And don't get me wrong, I love my gadgets. I love my iPhone, I love my iPad, I listen to podcasts all the time, almost every single day of my life. I love all that jazz. But listen guys, here's the bottom line. There is simply something about the modern way of life that is not conducive to spiritual health, emotional health, or human flourishing. Dallas Willard put it this way. This will be on the screens for you. Willard says, busy is the greatest enemy of spiritual life. If you take notes, you ought to write that down. Busy is the greatest enemy of spiritual life. Listen, guys, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, the reason that you feel so empty and hollow and rushed and hurried, listen to me, is because you were never designed by your creator to live life this way. And so the question for us as modern day people then becomes like, man, are we destined to just live these overstimulated, overstressed lives of hurry and chaos and misery and checklists and to-do lists? Is that our destiny? And I just wanna say this morning, the answer to that question is a resounding no. Like we are not destined to live life that way. I want you guys, I wanna give you guys hope. There is a better way. There's an alternative, it's called the way of Jesus. And so what I wanna talk to you about today really are the spiritual disciplines of Sabbath and celebration. And those two things are really kind of connected together. You can't pull them apart. And so here's the game plan for the morning. I wanna give you four truths. We're gonna just kind of unpack this together from the scriptures at the end for you notes people, you list people. I'm gonna give you a list of four truths, one application, and then we're gonna celebrate together as we Remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We take the bread and the cup, all right? That'll be kind of the game plan. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up, turn it on your device, head to Genesis chapter one. That's where we're gonna start, Genesis chapter one. As you find your place there, let's pause and ask God to help us as we uh, jump into his word this morning. God, we come to you, and we do live in a crazy, chaotic, fast-paced, unrelenting breakneck speed world and I'm guessing even now as we sit here in this holy place on the Lord's day in the Lord's house with the Lord's people that there's still probably just this low grade stress and anxiety that's humming in the back of our minds as we think about what we have to do when we leave here what we have to do when we wake up tomorrow and so God I I just ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow us to just kind of flip that switch off for the next 30 minutes or so. That we would be able to set down all of our cares, all of our anxieties, so that we might hear a fresh word from our creator. God, we need you. We need you to speak life into our weary souls and our anxious hearts. And so we ask that you would do that now through your word, by the power of your spirit. And we pray it all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter one I think really to understand kind of the off-ramp from the way of life that is absolutely suffocating our souls onto the on-ramp of abundant life that Jesus offered his disciples, I think we have to go all the way back to the beginning to truly understand this. So that's where we're going to start, right? Genesis, first book of the Bible, first chapter of the first book of the Bible. So let's start there. Genesis 1, this will be on the screens for you if you don't have a copy of God's Word. It says this, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you're familiar with this 
with this story, with this narrative. Uh, it goes on to describe the, the creation that happens over the course of the next six days, right? And so it's like, hey, God creates the light and says it's good. And then he creates the sun and moon and says it's good. And then he creates the stars. And then he creates the, the trees and the bushes and all the vegetation. And he says it's good. And then he creates like the fish and the birds and the land animals. And it's good. And then finally, creation kind of culminates on day six when he creates, does anybody know? Mankind, right? The first human beings, Adam and Eve, and he creates them, Imago Dei, in his own image. The only thing on the planet that's created actually in the likeness of God himself. And he says, at that point, it is very good. Now, I want you to watch what happens next. God has created everything that is in our universe. Look at Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, thus, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all of the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he, y'all help me read that next word. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Now, that word rested in the Hebrew is the word Shabbat. Can you guys say Shabbat with me? One, two, three. Shabbat. That's almost like a good Christian cuss word, right? Son of a Shabbat. Right? It's just, it's, it just kind of rolls right off the tongue, right? Now, listen, that Hebrew word Shabbat, we actually get our, our word Sabbath, by the way, from that Hebrew word. We get, also get our, our, our word sabbatical from that root word. Now, here's what Shabbat actually means. It means literally to stop, to cease, to desist, to rest, and even, I love this, even to celebrate. Isn't that cool? So God creates, he works for six days, and then he pauses, he pulls back, and he rests for one. So that's kind of the rhythm. Six on, one off. Six on, one off. And then he, he blesses that day, the Sabbath day, and he calls it holy, which means it's, it's set aside, right, for a greater purpose. Now let me ask you a question. Do you think God needed rest after creation? Was, like, was God like, whew, I am so exhausted. I'm just on the edge of burnout. If I don't slow down, I might have a nervous breakdown. I'm going to need to go see my therapist next week to talk through this. No, God doesn't need rest. So, so what, what's going on here? And I don't want you to miss this. This is really important. God, God is weaving a rhythm of rest into creation. Not as a need for himself, but listen, guys, as a gift to us. He's weaving rest into the rhythm of creation, not because he needs it, but as a gift to us, meaning that you and I are meant to work and then rest, work and then rest, push forward and then pull back to be renewed. This is the design. And when we buck against the design of the creator, guess what happens? We begin to break. Things begin to go sideways in creation. You've experienced in this, this in your own life, maybe even experiencing it now. Certainly we've seen sort of the shrapnel wounds of this all throughout uh, our world today. I'll share just one personal story with you, but I can remember uh, years ago before I was at New Life, I was in this incredibly uh, stressful season of life and ministry. And uh, just due to a series of circumstances, I had a whole bunch of extra responsibilities kind of dumped onto my plate. And I was burning the candle at both ends. I was not taking a day off. I was putting in uh, 12, 14-hour days, and I was just running ragged, man. I was uh, totally exhausted. I was at the end of my rope, and I can remember sitting at a coffee shop one day, and I was writing a sermon. And as I was writing my sermon, I noticed that my, my hand had a trimmer in it. I was like, man, that's, that's weird. Like, I'm, maybe I just had too much coffee, and so I keep typing, and I notice my, my other hand 
as a trimmer. I'm like, dang, I'm like 32 years old. Like, what, what is going on? I, I shouldn't have Parkinson's or anything like that yet, I don't think. And, and, and then I noticed uh, over the course of about a week or so, the trimmers didn't get any better. Actually, they got worse, and I started freaking out a little bit. And then I would notice at night when I was sitting on the couch just unwinding, my, my, the muscles in my legs would just kind of convulse involuntarily. Like that just, I had no control over what was happening with the muscles in my leg. In fact, one time I was watching it, it looked like there was like a snake crawling underneath my skin. And I was like, okay, that's it. Th- th- something is seriously wrong with me. And so I did what everybody should do. I went to Dr. Google and I started researching what I might have. And so I researched and I came to the conclusion that I had ALS. Okay, so that's, I discovered that I had ALS, which means I had three to five years. And so I started planning my own funeral, bought my own casket. And uh, I'm like, okay, this is it. This is, this is the way that I go. And so I go to my doctor. He sends me to a specialist. I go to a neurologist, and he's doing all these tests and checking me for ALS and Parkinson's, like all these things. And I'm testing out negative for all of them. And finally, the doctor sits me down, and he kind of leans in, and he goes, hey, man, are you, are you stressed out? I'm like, dude, you have, you have no idea. He was like, look, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not telling you what to do, but I'm just, I'm just telling you, like, you don't have anything wrong with you now, but if you don't figure out how to deal with whatever you're dealing with, you're gonna have something wrong with you because you're gonna break. And that was such an aha moment for me. It was like the light bulb went off and like, man, I am not, man, I, I kind of like prided myself and like, I'm a workaholic and I'm gonna be there before anybody else and work harder and stay later and accomplish and I'm gonna, nobody's ever gonna outwork me. And I realized, man, that God has not designed me to work this way, man. I, I can't burn the candle at both ends forever. My body literally began to shut down. And what I've discovered is, man, we, are, we, we were created to, yes, work, to create, to achieve, to press forward, but also within the rhythm of pulling back to be arrested and restored and renewed. God fashioned this rhythm into creation. There's actually this really fascinating story uh, from history. Right after the French Revolution, the late 1700s, um, they, they actually tried to implement a 10-day work week to uh, increase productivity, right? So instead of six on, one off, we're going to work 10 and then one off. So that was kind of the idea. That's going to help the GDP of the country. Our economy is going to soar and take off, and it's going to be really good for us. So can you guess what happened? It was an unmitigated disaster. Productivity plummeted. The suicide rate skyrocketed. And after 13 years, they went back to a six plus one seven-day week. In fact, more recent studies uh, just in the last few years have shown that after about 50 hours of work, productivity actually begins to decline. Meaning people that work on average 50 hours a week are more productive than people that work 60 or 70 or 80 hours a week. It's, listen, guys, it's almost as if this thing has been finely tuned for a rhythm of six days on and one day off. Crazy idea, I know. There's this really cool story in Exodus chapter 16 where God has delivered his people out of slavery in Egypt and he's promised them uh, the, the land of milk and honey, right? And so they're on this journey. They've only been on this journey out in the wilderness for like six weeks, but they're starting to get hangry. You know what that's like, right? Some of you are hangry right now. You're like, wrap it up, pastor, I'm hungry. And uh, so the people of God are in the wilderness and they're getting hangry, right? They're like, in fact, some of them started grumbling saying, man, at least when we were slaves in Egypt, we had plenty of food. 
Like we had meat to eat and vegetables to eat, and now we're out here following you, God, and we got nothing. Thanks a lot, big guy. This is really going great. And so God hears their grumbling and he, he answers them and God performs this miracle where he, he actually provides this delicious kind of bread-like substance that's called manna. The Bible tells us it tastes like wafers and honey, so it sounds delicious to me. And God's like, okay, here, I want you to eat this. It tastes good. It's gonna keep you alive. But here's the deal. I want you to gather every single day, but on the sixth day, every week, I want you to gather twice as much because on the seventh day, I don't want you to gather anything. I want you to rest. And on that seventh day, I want you to feast and I want you to enjoy your friends and your family and I want you to worship me and delight in me. And so I want you to gather twice as much on day six. So on day seven, you don't have to do anything except rest and celebrate and enjoy and delight. Now, let's pick up right there in the narrative, Exodus chapter 16 on the screens for you. It says this On the sixth day, they gather twice as much bread, two omers, those are like, uh, like jars, think of jars, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Verse 26, six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is Sabbath, there will be none. In other words, you're gonna have this stuff every single day when you wake up, except for on the Sabbath. I'm not gonna provide it for you on the Sabbath because I don't want you working on the Sabbath. Verse 29, see, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gave you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested, Shabbat, that same word, so they rested on the seventh day. And so God goes, look, guys, um, I'm gonna provide for you. I've heard your grumbling. I've heard your prayers. I'm gonna provide for you, but here's the deal. I want you to gather for six days, but on the seventh day, I don't want you to gather. I don't want you to work. I want you to rest. I want you to celebrate. I want you to delight. And so what I want you guys to see is Sabbath was a gift. It is a gift. It was a way for them to slow down enough to hear from God, to be renewed, and to celebrate his provision. Now, let me ask you a question. Why would God ask that of them? Why would he ask that of them? I think at least in part, it was to remind them of their dependence on him. In other words, it was a way for them to build trust in their creator. If you're a note taker, write this down. Rest is an act of trust. Let me say that again. Rest is an act of trust. Now here's the deal. I think for many of us, our inability to slow down, to rest, to Sabbath well is actually revealing of a deeper-seated issue in our hearts, and that is that ultimately we really don't trust God. Now, we wouldn't say that. Like, we wouldn't verbalize it. If, you were, if I were to ask you by the coffee bar, hey, do you trust God? Do you have faith in God? Most of you would probably say, yeah, of course. That's why I'm here at church, Chris. What do you do? Of course I trust God. But most of us would betray our statement with the way that we live our lives, which indicates that we actually don't trust God at all. We feel like the weight of the world depends on us, and so we have to grind, and we have to go. We've got to-do list, and emails to answer, and phone calls, and go, 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 24-7, seven days a week. And ultimately, that is a sign, I think, deep down, that we don't truly trust God. Rest is an act of worshipful trust where we say to God, God, I'm stopping. I'm Sabbathing. I'm trusting that while I'm not working, you're working on my behalf. That while I'm not answering these emails, you are still providing for my needs. 
that you're not gonna let me go hungry, that I'm not gonna die, that the world is not gonna stop spinning on its axis just because I'm taking a day off. That's trust, that's a level of faith. And when we do that, we honor God and we accept this beautiful gift, gift called Sabbath. Rest is woven into the rhythm of creation. And we can either receive it as a gift or ignore it until we break. And I've been in both places. Let me just encourage you from personal experience, it's much better to receive as a gift than to reject it and experience breaking as discipline. Choice is ours, gift or brokenness. Gift or brokenness. It's kind of like for those of you who are driving and you have cars, what, what happens if you never stop driving your car long enough to change the oil? What happens? You know? Eventually, it's, the engine will seize up, it'll burn out, and it literally will break, right? If you don't stop driving a car long enough to change the oil, the engine will burn out and break. And I'm telling you, God has designed the human machine to work and function in the same way. If we don't stop, if we don't Sabbath, if we don't rest, we will also burn out and break. This reminded me of a story uh, uh, as I was thinking through this concept this week. Some of you guys I know, you, you enjoy yard work, right? You're some sickos, some weirdos out there. My dad is in that camp. I think, I th- amen. I think it's because he, my dad enjoys it because he has a riding lawnmower and I have a push mower. So I think that may have something to do with his enjoyment of it. And, uh, but man, I'm telling you, I, I hate yard work. Like I, 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 I loathe yard work. Uh, I've got this, some of y'all have seen it. I've got this really steep hill in my background, in my backyard, that I literally have to wear cleats to weedy. If not, I would tumble down and, and break my neck. And uh, man, I detest that hill. I mean, I, put me in a dentist chair a hundred times over having to weed whack that hill one single time. So I just wanna say, man, if, if any of you guys have the spiritual gift of weed whacking hills, I just want to say, man, I got a great outlet for you to manifest your spiritual gifts in my, and I just don't want to rob you of that. So you let me know after service. But uh, sometimes when I'm weed whacking that hill with my football cleats on, um, sometimes the weed eater gets overheated and it cuts off. I think just the angle of it and, and there's always so many weeds, so it's working really hard. And, and so oftentimes it cuts off, gets overheated. And when we first moved into that house, like a, about a decade ago, what I would do is I would come off the hill and I would just, man, I would, I would try to start that thing and I'll pull it and I'd pump more gas into it. And I would just like work myself into a lather trying to get this thing going because I wanted to finish the job. And then I read the instruction manual, which is always a great thing to do. And what I discovered is this machine actually has a cutoff switch in it that is meant to, at some point when it gets overworked, to, to shut off and, and preserve the engine. Like it actually was designed that way. And so what I figured out is that if I would just leave that thing alone for like 15 or 20 minutes, go in the house, cool down, get a cold glass of water and go back out, it would crank right back up and I could get my job finished. And human beings are exactly the same way. We are designed to power down and to rest. And when we don't do that, we also get glitchy and we start running slow and we start sputtering and we start overheating and eventually we will shut down on like I almost did uh, at the neurologist's office all those years ago, right? And so here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. The practice of Sabbath is not some legalistic, religious-y holdover from a bygone era. It is a good gift from a good God for your flourishing. Now, here's the fascinating thing. If you keep reading the story in Exodus, the people actually don't accept God's gift of Sabbath. 
You're like, hey, that's, that's cool, God. And then you read the story, and they keep on working and gathering on the seventh day, right? They don't accept his gift. And so then God makes it a command, right? So first of all, he tries to, he models it for us in the rhythm of creation. He, try, he offers it as a good gift. They're like, yeah, no thanks. And so now he kind of steps in. And he's like, no, now, now I'm making it a rule. Look at Exodus chapter 20. This is one of the Ten Commandments. And, and probably not coincidentally, by far the longest of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 on the screen for you says this. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. You know what that word all means in the Hebrew? All. Not like 90%, but I still got this one project over here. Not like 85%, but I still got this list of emails over here. Not like 93%, but I still got this list of to-do list chores over here. No, no, no. In six days you shall labor and do all, 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 100% of your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, not even your animals. Let them rest. Let your dog rest. Or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath, and he made it holy. So again, first, God introduces the concept of Sabbath as an example woven into the created, creative rhythm of our universe. He then, secondly, he offers it as a gift to his people, which they then ignore. And now, finally, God is like, okay, that's it. I'm making it a rule <laughs> for your good. I'm going to just, I'm going to command it. Now, parents, have you ever had to do this with your kids? You try to model something for your kids, right? And they don't really pick up on it, so then you kind of, like, kindly offer it as a gift to invite them into a better way of life. They're like, yeah, no thanks, pops. I think I got it figured out. I'm 12. I'm really smart. And finally, you're just like, hey, listen! I am commanding you, stop eating the cookie dough ice cream at midnight after I'm already in bed. Just stop. Stop it! It's not good for you. It's going to keep you up at night. It's going to give you acid reflux. Eventually, it could give you diabetes, and then you're going to die, right? So I tried to model this for you. I offered you a, a gift as a better way of life. You rejected it. Now I'm making a rule. Stop eating the ice cream. Now, as parents, look, we, we don't make rules like that because we're trying to keep our kids from having a fun and good life, do we? We, we, we make these rules in our homes so that they can flourish and enjoy a beautiful, long, healthy life. And God is the same way with us. He's a good father. He, he wants us to delight and enjoy and celebrate this beautiful gift we call life. Now, here's, here's what happens. And some of you know this because you're experiencing it right now. But here's what happens when we don't Sabbath, right? So when we don't establish a rhythm of working and pulling back, here, here's what happens. So here are the symptoms of a Sabbathless life. Here they go. And I've done a lot of study and research on this all summer. But fatigue is one. Exhaustion, when you're not Sabbathing or resting. Burnout, stress, you become emotionally unhealthy. You become spiritually empty. You start experiencing difficulty sleeping because you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders and you have to, and so you can never turn the to-do list off and you can't sleep. It's keeping you up at night. You can't rest. 
It can actually, and, and again, uh, science and medicine is proving this out in studies, it can cause physical illness as your immune system becomes uh, uh, suppressed, right? And so maybe you've experienced this in your life or maybe you know somebody that's they're constantly sick. And they just go from one cold to one virus to another and, 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 and our bodies literally begin to uh, get sick and shut down because we were meant for this rhythm of work and rest, pushing forward and Sabbathing. And we don't do that, stuff starts to break. Strained relationships, again, because we were not meant to function in this way, we become easily agitated. And then the last one, a growing sense of hopelessness. And so let me just ask you, as you look at that list, how you doing? How many would you have to, like, check? Like, I own that one. And I'm just telling you, for, for much of my life, like, that list was my life. Like, I just, er, almost every single one of them. And as I've really just had a chance this summer, I've been on sabbatical to really do a deep dive on this subject of spiritual disciplines and healthy rhythms and the habits of Jesus, I've really been convicted that, man, I have totally been rejecting a gift that the Lord intends for me to walk in. Now, let me tell you what Sabbath is not, because there is some confusion about what Sabbath is and isn't, even in church circles. Um, and this is going to shock some of you. Here, here's what Sabbath is not. Sabbath is not a day off. Sabbath is not just a day off. Let me tell you why. Because if you're anything like me, what do you do on your day off? You do, you do all the work that you don't get paid for, right? <laughs> you, you weed whack that stupid bloody hill in the back of your yard, right, until you're just about to pass out. You're cleaning your house. You're mowing the lawn. You're paying bills. You're grocery shopping. You're unclogging the bathtub drain in your kid's upstairs bathroom for the 18th time this year. Like, it's just, it's just a list of unpaid work. And I, listen, I'm just telling you, I'm, the confession time, I have to my shame always called this day my Sabbath. And I am, listen, I, 43 years old, I'm just telling you, I'm just now discovering, as a pastor, been in ministry 17 years, I'm just now discovering that I have missed Sabbath pretty much my entire life. And if I were a betting man, I would bet that that's probably most of your stories as well. Because this concept and this spiritual discipline is not emphasized hardly at all in modern Western evangelical churches. Like if you've grown up in the churches that I grew up in, you probably have never heard a sermon like this. It's just not emphasized. It's a, it's a rhythm that we somehow, someway over the centuries have lost to our detriment. I love this quote by uh, A.J. Soboda. He's a Bible professor, wrote a book called Subversive Sabbath. This quote will be on the screens for you. He writes this, The Sabbath has largely been forgotten by the church which has uncritically mimicked the rhythms of the industrial and success-obsessed West. The result, our road-weary, exhausted churches have largely failed to integrate Sabbath into their lives as vital elements of Christian discipleship. It is not as though we do not love God. We love God deeply. We just do not know how to sit with God anymore. We have become, perhaps, the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, and spiritually malnourished people in history. Ouch. But isn't that the truth? Now, if you're thinking, man, Chris, that's great. I hear all the stuff, Genesis, Exodus, that's all old covenant stuff. Bro, don't you know, this is post-resurrection, man. We're under the new covenant. 
of grace. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Let me just talk for a moment about Jesus and the Sabbath. Now, it's interesting. If you study the Gospels, Jesus has a very interesting relationship with Sabbath. Now, for one thing, he's, he's almost always, if not always, in the synagogue worshiping with God's people, right? That was his rhythm. That was his routine. That was his habit, which should probably be instructive for us today as well. Like, the gathering of the saints is important. We should prioritize it as, as much as we possibly can. Jesus certainly did. But there's also something else really interesting. Jesus is, is oftentimes in the Gospels finding himself in trouble on the Sabbath. Have you ever noticed that? Now, there's so many stories I could have chosen, but there's one really poignant story where it's the Sabbath. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. They're taking a hike, right? They're resting. They're enjoying nature. They're just kind of walking around, talking. I would imagine cutting up, laughing, having a good time. They've already been to synagogue. They've already worshiped, already heard the word proclaimed, all that kind of stuff. And, and they walk through this grain field. And uh, the, some of his disciples start to, to pick heads of grain, and they start to, like, rub off the top of the grain and, and eating them as, as, as snacks. And, and as they're doing this, just kind of enjoying their Sabbath day, all of a sudden from behind the bushes, these Pharisees, these legalistic dorks kind of pop out from the bushes and go, Aha! We caught you! You are working on the Sabbath day, right? And, and Jesus has this, this really beautiful response, I think one that's, instructive for us today. So this is Mark 2, 27. This is his response to these uh, religious dorks. Verse 27, he says this, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. Then verse 28, so the son of man, this is uh, his favorite way to refer to himself as the son of man, like it's a moniker from the book of Daniel for the Messiah. So the son of man referring to himself is Lord even of the Sabbath. What Jesus is saying there is, hey, listen, guys, Sabbath is for man. It's a gift. Like, it's not this, like, like, this weighty, like, religious, burdensome thing that, like, we have to pry. Like, this is a gift from a good father who knows what's best for you. And guess what? I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. In fact, the Sabbath points to me. And I'm sure that Jesus had in his mind really really well-known passages like Exodus 31 that would have been very familiar to a first-century Jewish audience. Let me just read one of these to you. Uh, Exodus 31 says this, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbath, for this is a sign. Now, what's the purpose of a sign, y'all? A sign is something that points to something else, right? It doesn't terminate on itself. It, it's pointing to something greater, right? For, so the Sabbath is a sign between me and you through your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now, here's a really fascinating thing. That word sanctify carries with it the idea of cleansing, forgiveness, setting apart, and saving. So what God is doing there is he's going, listen, the Sabbath is a sign that's pointing you to something or someone that will ultimately save you. Jesus shows up in the Gospels and he goes, I'm that dude. I'm the, I am the fulfillment of what the Sabbath is all about. I am the rest that your soul longs for. Then he proved it by going to the cross on Good Friday. His body laying in the tomb on the Sabbath as the world watched and rested to see what would happen as he's working. And then on the third day, rising again to invite us into this new rhythm as his now beloved, sanctified sons and daughters, no longer striving to achieve, but resting in his provision for us. And so, follower of Christ, man, we, we work hard, but then we rest freely. We press forward and we must retreat weekly. 
And so if Sabbath is not just simply a day off, what, is, what does Sabbath look like then? And my answer is, I don't really know. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I'm just discovering. This is like a journey for all of us together as a faith family. I'm just beginning to explore this. Cheryl and I, my wife, have had discussions over the summer about, hey, how can we practice this with the madness of our schedule and three kids' schedules and all work and ministry and church responsibilities and friendships and blah, blah, blah. All the stuff that you guys all have to. And so we've been trying to map out, man, what does this look like? I, I don't know. We're still trying to, to figure it out. But as I've studied best practices from men and women who have studied this and theologians, I've come up with a list that seems to be pretty unanimous. So here's a list of what Sabbathing well looks like. First of all, it's learning how to power off all devices. Some of you are already getting like heart palpitations, right? iPhones, iPads, off. Logging out of email. That means on your, on your Sabbath day, you're not checking in with the boss and you're responding to this emergency or that crisis or whatever else. It's logging out of email. It's breaking from social media, which means you can't be like, I'm gonna Instagram my Sabbath day, Sabbathing well, put this on Instagram. How many likes do I have, right? Defeats the whole point. Cooking your, your favorite family meals. So we're just already talking about like, okay, we're going to make one Sabbath. It's going to be Haley's Sabbath day. And the next one's going to be Karis's Sabbath day. The next one's going to be Judas. As our kids are going to get to choose their favorite meal. And we're going to cook it together and eat it together. We plan to laugh and dance and worship and pray together and play. And if you're married, make love. If you're not married, wait. We're going to nap. My favorite, no to-do list. No to-do list. Delighting in God, enjoying creation, watching a great movie, reading a fun novel, enjoying food and drink with special friends, delighting in our creator, meditating on rich scriptures, and giving our souls space to breathe and come alive again. Does that sound good to anybody else? Oh, God. I need that, man. And here's the deal. You do too. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want it or not, you need this and your soul is starving for it. So I don't know, man, what this looks like for you. For this, Listen, we're going to try it for the first time this weekend. So y'all join us. Y'all try. We'll explore together. But here's what we're going to try. We're going to try from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday, 24 hours. All right? And, and our goal is that this becomes our favorite day of the week where we do everything that we love and we put aside things that maybe are good but are not really ultimately important and we enjoy one another, we delight in our creator, we just unplug from the world around us and rest and renew and refresh so that we can start our week in a healthy place spiritually and emotionally. Now, my, my goal is to be unreachable for 24 hours, right? Now, one of the greatest gifts uh, for me taking a sabbatical this summer is that, I mean, I knew this intellectually but I got to experience it is that you guys don't need me. And you, got, you guys did just fine this summer, right? And so, so for me to unplug for 24 hours once a week, like, you guys are gonna be great, right? And if you really need me, you can call Mark, he can give you my address, and you can come knock on my door and hope that I'm not taking a nap because I'm not answering the door if I'm taking a nap. But that's my goal, is just for 24 hours a week to be completely unreachable to the world around me. I would suggest that you do the same. In conclusion... For you uh, note takers and list makers, here you go. Here's the whole, the whole thing in a nutshell. 
Sabbath is, number one, a gift woven into creation. It's not legalism. It's not religion. It's a gift from a good father. Are you going to accept it or are you going to reject it? Number two, it's a reminder of our dependence on God. It's, it's learning how to trust him that if I pause for 24 hours, he's still got everything under control. The world's not going to fall apart. Number three, it is a command for our good, right? This is not a suggestion. It's part of the Ten Commandments, right? So it's not one of those like sacrificial ceremonial Old Testament laws that was fulfilled in Christ. No, no, this carries over to New Covenant Christians. It is a command for our good. And number four, it is a sign, a signpost of redemption and celebration. And so as we pull away and we're renewed and restored and refreshed, our hearts are, are meant to point to the Lord of the Sabbath, as Jesus said. That he is our ultimate Sabbath, our ultimate rest. We celebrate ultimately in him. So here's your homework. Gave you homework last week. I'm gonna give you homework this whole series. Here's your homework for this week. Sabbath this week with us. Sabbath with us. Now three guidelines. Start somewhere. So if you're like, Chris, there's no way I can do 24 hours. That's great for you, Pastor Boy, but I, like, I got a busy schedule. I can't do 24 hours. Fine, start with six hours. Start with three hours. Start somewhere, just start. Now, I would encourage you to aim for 24 hours. Now, that might not be feasible week one, month one, whatever, but work, work your way up to 24 hours if you can't start there. Number two, and this is important, give yourself permission to fail. Man, we are all just kind of discovering this, whole, this lost rhythm together after centuries of Christians practicing this every single week. So you're gonna find yourself checking your phone, responding to an email, running into the office. Give yourself grace, right? I'm prepared. I already know this weekend I'm probably gonna fail a few times. I wanna give myself grace. But then number three, and probably the most important one, is keep pursuing the gift. So if it doesn't go perfectly this week, that's fine. Dust yourself off and try again next week. And maybe uh, over the course of weeks and months and hopefully years, we get, we get better and better and better. And there's grace with this. There's no legalism. I don't think God's up there with a baseball bat like, oh, you answered an email, Shwack, I'm gonna kill you now. I don't think that's the attitude of our heavenly father. So give yourself permission to fail, but don't, don't live there as an excuse. Be, pursue it. If you need to calendar some things differently, if you need to cancel some sporting events and stuff that your kids are in, because we all got like 8,000 billion practices and sports and ballet or something, it's okay to skip some of those. Guys, I give you permission. The world will not end if you miss a ballet recital or a softball practice or flute, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I don't know why that came to my mind, but just, you know what I'm saying. The world will not stop, and your kids will be okay. Learn to Sabbath. Give yourself permission to fail. Keep pursuing the gift. I love these words from uh, Jesus, Matthew chapter 11. This is actually from the message translation, which is just a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson, but I, I love the way he words it. This is the invitation from Jesus to us. Here it is. Almost done. Ben, y'all can go ahead and come up. Here it is. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, that's a beautiful invitation, and I hope that you'll receive it. 
Let's pray, and then we're going to celebrate as we take the bread and the cup. Heavenly Father, uh, we come to you, and we are grateful that you are a God who cares for us. That you're a God that has designed this rhythm of work and rest, work and rest. To press forward and then be renewed and restored. So God, would you forgive us for neglecting such a beautiful gift? For disobeying such an incredible command in your word? For thinking that we know better than you? for being so prideful that we think that the world will fall apart, our business will fall apart, our school career will fall apart if we don't pause to Sabbath well with you. Forgive us for our pride. Forgive us for our arrogance. Help us accept this beautiful gift. Remind us, God, that ultimately the Sabbath is a, is a signpost to your son Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. We just want to say thank Thank you, God, for sending Jesus into our mess so that he could live the perfect life that we should have lived but we were incapable of and dying a sinner's death to pay for our sin and our rebellion but also rising again on the third day to invite us into this beautiful, abundant life and this rhythm of work and and rest and play and celebration. God, help us embrace your good gifts not to shun them to our own detriment god we love you we thank you for jesus it's in his beautiful name that we ask and we pray all things amen